start off with just a um, an experience that I've actually had um, probably about nearly 20 years ago now, actually. But um, it's a fond memory of uh, of a particular particular part of my life. But um, what I'm about to let you know, um, I'm more looking at the chemistry of my uh, event that took place in my life, um, and uh, we'll we'll pick that up um, within that and relate to scripture base. But um yeah, about eighteen years ago I um I rocked up to the local footy club across the road here at Elizabeth Vale and um a club that didn't have many funds. Um I suppose a bit low on the, in spirit, I suppose. Haven't seen a, any trophy or silverware silverware for a while and um and uh lo and behold I went there and um we started training and uh Due to the lack of funds, we didn't have much lighting at night time when we trained at night after work. So we had one floodlight over the main area and we'd sort of train just in that one area. And um, it probably affected our game day style of play, only being able to train in one part of the oval and, uh, you know, in, in the long scheme of things. It probably uh, wasn't helping. Um, one day, one year, a new year started, some new people arrived and um, we didn't know each other, of course. You sort of all sort of all come from all, all over the place to, uh, to make a club, to make a team or a family. And um, lo and behold, a new coach came along and um, we were typically training within the light area on the field and I sent him march over to us and said, right, I want you lads, boys, come here now. And we all sort of lined up, two bags full, sir, you know, and new coach got impressed and he said, no more training in the light. And we were like, what? okay, what's going on here? Because I want you to use the full oval and I want you to, um, to train as if it was a normal daytime event type thing in the dark as well as the light, not just using the light only. Had us bazzled and had us a bit, I suppose, frustrated for some of the, for some of us. Anyway, we'd get into our positions for training. Um, and then he would say, now there's one particular thing I need you to do now. And this is the most thing, important thing. And this is what I want to point out tonight. For every man that goes to take a uh, to, to take the ball uh, in possession, the one that's behind him to say, "I've got your back," and to be there for him, no matter what. And um, you'd hear sort of in the in the in the night, uh, you see the ball coming towards you, and it's sort of got this light. You know, when you got light and dark, and the ball's going through, and you're, oh, where'd it go? You know. <laughs> and all you could hear there's a silent voice, maybe not so silent during footy training, but a silent voice that now is sort of stuck in my head is, "I've got your back, Johnny." And um, what I was probably say tonight, put your name in that uh, reference. Got your name, Deb. Um, got your name. You know what I mean. And um, got you back. And it gave a confidence um, to us. Um, not only did we uh, become a family or a team, we got to know each other's names because of it. We got to learn each other, and we had each other's back no matter what. And it was to and throw. And I'll do the same for the the next the next guy in front of me. We're Without uh, going into further detail, I suppose, but we'd end up going on very successful that year and we'd actually end up taking um, the league. Um, and it was against all odds. Nobody would have picked us, but we ended up winning the, um, the, the, the premiership that year. So it came with some success. But the most important thing is the chemistry I want to pick out tonight. And chemistry is a very important thing. And if you can turn to First Samuel, please, chapter 13. Some characteristics of people in the Bible I want to pick up now and um, sort of join this chemistry in within that. And I think we'll pick up first on a particular gentleman named Saul, a King Saul, at the time in First Samuel 13, verse 5. I want to look at how he goes about his business in these particular verses, how that, um, I suppose in this case, he um, he forgot that somebody had his back, and that being God, um, the God of Israel at the time. And um, this scripture sets the scene for the following scriptures I want to get, uh, read into, but we'll read First Samuel 13, verse 5. And it reads here and says, The Philistines, 
they gathered themselves together to fight Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as a sand, which is on the sea shoreline, in multitude. So the Philistine army, as the opposition to Israel at the time, had gathered themselves and they're quite up and about, they're quite angry. Um, there had been quite a few uh, attacks or wars going on between um, King Saul and the Philistines at the time and he'd managed to raise their feathers a bit and um, they'd come back tenfold or more, as this scripture says, more than the sand on the, she- on the sh- <laughs> there you go, seashore in the multitude. I'm trying to say that quick. Um, so you can imagine this imposing army um, just building with force. It reads on. And they came up and they pitched in Mishmash eastward uh, from Beth-Avon. Now, um, Mishmash, for those, you got Jerusalem in Israel. Mishmash was um, so many, I'm not sure how many kilometres exactly, but it was north, north of, Mish, uh, of uh, Jerusalem there. And uh, you had this big Philistine army um, pitching up, all setting at bay within the land of Israel. So they're on, on the turf of Israel. So on, uh, I suppose, King Saul's turf at the time. We read on verse 6. When the men of Israel saw um, that they were in straight, so they had this, they knew they were there, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide um, themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over to Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilad. As for Saul, he was yet in Galgal, Gal- pronounced, and all the people followed him trembling. So they seen the Philistines uh, camp, making camp in their own land and they got, were in fear and they fled. And uh, verse 8, we continue on, and he tarried seven days, and uh, this being King Saul, he carried for, ten, uh, sorry, for t- seven days according to the time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel ga- uh, came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and a peace offering, and he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made uh, the end of the offering, uh, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Samuel went out to meet him, uh, he might salute him. So Samuel, uh, sorry, um, uh, King Saul's panicked here and uh, seen his army and thought he'd make a burnt offering before God without Samuel being there. And um, and we'll we'll see really quickly what happens here because the in the order or the process of what manner it was meant to happen was incorrect. And although he had to wait for seven days for um, for Samuel to uh, to uh, to rock up to the battleground, I suppose you could say, um, King Saul took things into his own hands. And we read on. So he went to salute him, but then we read in verse eleven, and Samuel said, "What has thou done?" So he's in despair. He's like, "What have you done?" And Saul said, "Because I saw the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash." Verse 12, therefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done a foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he hath made thee, for now uh, would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue. This is not going good for King Saul. Uh, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. We'll continue reading just here, verse 15. And Samuel arose and got, uh, got him up from Gilgal uh, unto, um, I think it's pronounced 
Jebiah or Gibeah of Benjamin, and and Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about six hundred men. So he had about six hundred men to his own army after the fled of the rest of the people over the River Jordan into the caves, into the thickets, and all different places. They ran and hid because they were scared because they're no longer being guided by God. Well, they've not, sorry, they've they've taken, they've forgotten that they're being guided by God. They've taken fear into their own hands and they've ran and hid. And there was yet but six hundred men left to take on this, what, 3,000-plus soldiers or more, even more actually, um, with the Philistines just in Mishmash, just north. Verse 16, it says, And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with them abode in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Mishmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. Uh, one company turned unto the way that leadeth to, I think it's Ophrah, not Oprah, okay, <laughs> um, unto the land of Shoal, uh, verse 18, and another company turned away to Beth Horon, and another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zebion towards the wilderness. Now there was no smith. Now when it says smith, it's regarded guard through a blacksmith, so a tool maker or a weaponry service. So there was no smith found throughout the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. So in other words, the Philistines had captured all the resources. So not only did they have an intimidating army upon them, they had also the resources of the, the blacksmith or resources. So they're making tools, sharpening spears, etc. And uh, where the Israel, Israelites had nothing. Verse 20 says, but all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his matok. So they even had to go to the Philistines or find a, a blacksmith that was under the influence of a Philistine to still sharpen even their own weapon. So they're not in a good spot. Verse 21, nearly finished reading this part here. Yet they had, uh, yeah, it says 21. Yet they had a file for the Maddox and for the coulters and the forks and for the axes and to sharpen their goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his own uh, was there found. So the only people in this whole Israeli army that had some uh, weaponry sharpened enough to battle was only King Saul and Jonathan, his son himself. Um, it says, verse 23, And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Mishmash. So here we have this setting of Jerusalem in Israel here. And we've got Mishmash just north. All right, And you've got this in-between part here. So we're going to start talking about this in-between part in a minute. But... I think you'll find um, the natural odds, as we can see, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the natural odds were stacked up against King Saul, and it became, it became or started because of his losing vision with God. He's forgotten where God was the whole time. He didn't realize that he had his back. God had his back, especially when um, Samuel appointed um, King Saul as king, and he had uh, he came from an Israeli family. He came from a, a good wealth. Um, apparently, he was quite tall and handsome, apparently, whatever that is. <laughs> um, but he had everything going for him in the natural, this King Saul, but not not spiritually at this time, and, and it ended uh, showing in his um, in his actions. I want you just to go to chapter 14, if we can, please. So here we go. we got um, verse 1. Now, it came to pass uh, upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bear his armour, so Jonathan with his armour-bearer, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison. Um, that is on the other side, but he told not his father. So the garrison, being a uh, uh, infiltrate, it's a group of troops stationed in a, like a maybe a fortress setup, 
um, and they're there very heavily to defend it. So it's not a not a place you sort of want to be venturing to on your own. Verse two, there it says, and Saul tarried or he stayed in the uttermost part of I think it's pronounced Gibeah, and it's just north of Jerusalem under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. So Saul decided to sit at camp. He's sort of holding counsel with the the wisdom that he's got around at the time. After um, now Saul's um, Samuel's no longer uh, going to be around. A bit, bit upset with him, and um, he's sitting counsel under this uh, pomegranate tree, trying to uh, convince his thoughts and pondering on it. And the people that were with him were about six hundred men. And so it says here, and Ahijah, the son of Ahitav, Ichabod's brother the son of Athenus, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest, which in Shiloh, he was wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. Now, uh, Ahijah here was a, a Levite um, uh, priest um, of, from Shiloh, um, and uh, the purpose of an ephod um, was to use it during holy ceremonies, um, in particular ceremonies there, the high priest wore, an ephod or, the, or for the uh, oracle rites, it says here. The ephod was used by a high priest to perform ritual duties and wore it at the command of God. So um, Saul uh, has sort of brought him in because Saul, uh, Samuel is no longer available and he's tr- sort of, I suppose, clutching at straws a little bit here. Verse 4, just read on, it says, And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines, the garrison there, the fortress, there was a sharp rock. On the, on the one side, and the sharp rock on the other side. And the, the name of them, uh, uh, sorry, the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Senai. So Jonathan and his armor bearer have decided to, uh, to take a lead by themselves without the, the blessing of his father. Um, he had picked up on his father, was no longer being guided by God, and the children of Israel were scattered, and he's taken it in his own hands with faith. And, um, it's an amazing thing when you think about it. Like we said, the natural is up against a very big army and it's probably not going to end well for him, uh, you'd think. But we'll read on to see what happens here. Bozes, um, by the way, uh, means slippery. Um, slippery, like slippery slopes. So it wasn't only just a matter of just getting up out of his camp and walking across the road and going, oh, I want to pick a fight with you type thing or I'm going to challenge you. They had to go through all these circumstances, through slippery slopes and that, um, and it even says here, um, and on the other side where we had uh, Senna, it means meaning is thorny cliff. So not only are these cliffs just normally 45 degree angle, if you ever run up a 45 degree angle cliff, it's really tiring. These things were also sticking out everywhere. So it was a, it was a big job for Jonathan and the armor bearer to uh, come to this um, to this fight. Verse 5 says, the, the forefront of the ones that were uh, situ, um, that, that means faced, um, were faced northward over against Mishmash, the Philistines were, and the other southward over against uh, Gibeah. Verse 6, And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armour, Come, and let us go over unto the garrisons of the uncircumcised. Now this part here, this next part, is just a real key chemistry part. And it goes on, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord that save to save by many or few. So he's made a point that doesn't matter how many, how less of us, or how many there are actually of us, God works within us and all the people said, Amen. No matter what, God is with us. And it says here in verse 7, And his armour bearer said unto him, I think this is quite interesting actually, I tried looking up the name of the armour bearer and you can't seem to find any name of the armour bearer, 
But I think this is a very important thing, actually. And I'll touch on that in a minute. So verse 7, I'll read that again. And his armor bearer said unto him, so he's talking to Jonathan, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. What a statement. And that's that little calm voice, I suppose, from the night time at the footy over when you hear, got your back, Johnny. I've got your back, Paul. I've got your back, you know, Sam or Sally. Um, he's got, I've got your back. Whatever name it is. In the Hebrew, it reference, the actual reference means, I am with you like your heart is with you also. That's how important this was to be together, to have one's back. Won't turn to it, but in Galatians 6 verse 2 it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we carry each other to fulfill the law of Christ, and all the people said, Amen. It's for the greater journey, for the bigger picture. Armour bearer wasn't just merely a, uh, a tool carrier or a golf caddy, or whatever those, I'm not sure they're called golf caddies, or whatever the ones that follow around. You sort of picture that, just an arm bearer. What do you want now, Johnny? You want a spear or a sword or a shield? And, oh, I have that one today. It's Monday. Um, it wasn't necessarily that. Um, an arm bearer was somebody that also gave you eyes in the back of your head, which is very important. It gives you strength in communication and stamina in victory and fighting. Um, somebody to bounce off of, um, bounce off and talk to each other um, about things, get, get a bit more of an opinion on saying, um, I've just got a saying here that, you know, that we jokingly say sometimes you can't choose your family in the natural, you know, just as a joke. Um, but, um, and we saw, we say that in believing that you could probably pick your own family and friends and your associates around you. But how better really when you think about it, I think it was pointed out today from Pastor Chad, how better is it even again that God has picked out our family of Christ and all the people said, Amen. He's picked us, handpicked us all, um, for all of us to be together. Once again, won't turn to time, but in John 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give unto ye, you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love, uh, love one to another. Very, very important ingredient and in a chemistry that can give so much more. Let's be honest, I think we know most of us, if we've, uh, well, not most of us, but if some of us have grown up in the 80s and 90s, used to play Mario, without Luigi, you would have never have made it. <laughs> anyway, that's a side sport, just to get, get the, keep the nerves away. All right, verse 8, so we'll keep reading on. Verse 8, we'll pick, go back to the um, the picture now here, where we've got the armor bearer and Jonathan leading towards the Philistines. And it says, and reads, then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. So they're going to reveal themselves unto this Philistine army. You've got to make it notice, make, make it actually known that we're there, not sneak in quietly. And in verse 9, if they thus, uh, so if they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up unto them. So in other words, they're going to ask him, if they want us to come, um, so it says here, if they want us to come to you, then we will stand in our place. We'll wait. But in verse 10, but if they say thus, come up unto us, so you come to us, you know, then we will go up, um, go up. For the Lord have delivered them into our hand. So it's a sign from God that he will deliver them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. 
And both of them discovered themselves, uh, yeah, discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of their holes and were, and were, uh, sorry, where they hid themselves. Having a little bit of a laugh, a bit of a skirn or a little score at them, um, verse 12. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we'll show you a thing or two. <laughs> um, don't add, don't add, John. All right. Um, and Jonathan said unto the, his armor-bearer, so once again, this bouncing off, having each other's back, he said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord have delivered them into the hand of Israel. Can you imagine what that armor-bearer was thinking at the time? I think just the fact that the armor-bearer had the same vision as what Jonathan had was the, actually just as important as what Jonathan had the vision of conquering them. And it just has that unity in Christ and all people said, having the same thought, pattern, process, no matter what the situation we find ourselves, we want victory. We want to push for that. And whatever that, that means to do, sometimes we do have to give up our own person, as we've heard today, earlier today. We give up our, 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 not necessarily our life, I mean, you know, uh, is in, well, yeah, in this case, maybe dying, but um, your possessions or your thoughts or your what you normally do. Now I'm following Jonathan and I'm going to go attack the Philistines. Verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up upon uh, upon his hands, upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that uh, and that the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about 20 men, within, as it were, a half an acre of land, or which a yoke of oxen might plow. So straight away, he's already taken out 20 men, 20 Philistines, setting fear into the camp of the Philistines through God's hand. Verse 15, and and they were trembling in the hosts, in the field and among the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked. God's power was moving by his people, as we sing. So it was a very great trembling. In verse 16, and the watchman of Saul in Gebeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Then said Saul, uh, then said Saul unto the people that were with him, number now, and see who gone from us. Like, who, who? What's going over here? Why is there a fuss, you know, sort of going over here? What's going on? Um, and it says here, and when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahijah, bring hither the ark of God. So we know we're talking about the ark of the covenant there. For the ark of God was set that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass while Saul talked unto the priest, um, that being Ahijah, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. So it was getting louder and louder and more noise. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. Now that with, um, with Saul there, remember he's sitting under a pomegranate tree and he's sort of having a bit of a, I suppose in some ways a woes me moment and uh, not sure what to do. He's sort of crippling and his son and his arm bearers born and done the work for him through the Lord's hand. Withdraw thine hand. Statement, and I just had a bit of a read of what that actually meant. Withdrawing thine hand statement is, um, sort of goes from here, says, from putting on the ephod, so we're talking about, um, Ahijah, um, that, uh, the priest that was with him at the time, or opening the breastplate of the Urim, Urim Thurman, however you pronounce it, or the placing of the ark in the proper position to inquire before it, or from lifting up both hands in prayer for direction, soul by the noise heard, um, and concluded that the army of the Philistines was defeated and caused uh, to retreat in disorder, and therefore there was no need to consult the Lord. And he had no leisure for it, um, no time was to be lost, the advantage was taken, 
directly and the enemy pursued to complete the victory. Uh, it says here the Jews looked up upon uh, upon this piece of profaneness, uh, actually is a, a, of a profaneness in soul himself, as no doubt it was a reckon, um, it was a reckon in it one of the sins for which the kingdom was not prolonged. So it was actually, I suppose, in some ways, a statement that um, he realised that there were, that um, the Philistines were being dismantled. He's taken advantage of it, but still not really giving it glory to the God. Um, just sort of worried about the Ark of the Covenant and the, the priests and everybody else trying to worry about all these other things. But sometimes when the Lord wants us to do something, it's just sometimes merely in faith. And all the people said, they just want, he just wants you just to go out in faith and not worry about sometimes the things that you think are just set before you. They might be rolling through the emotions. And I suppose I can look at it, you know, back in the footy field, you know, those years we'll just go through the emotions, you know, and then all of a sudden, um, you get this, you realize you've got a goal, common goal together and a chemistry and you got each other's back. And if you've got the Lord with it, how better, how great is that? Um, verse 20 there says, and Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves and they came to battle and behold, every man sword against his fellow. And there was a great uh, discomfiture, which uh, is a feeling of utter unease or an embarrassment or an awkward. So they were, they were a little bit awkward and embarrassed that they didn't go and fight, um, at, at the first point. Um, it says here in uh, 21, moreover, the Hebrews that were, uh, were with the Philistines before that time, so the ones that fled and actually joined the, the Philistines, which went up, uh, with them into the camp from the country roundabout, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Um, verse 22, likewise, all men of Israel, which had hid themselves in the, in, in the Mount Ephraim, um, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also, hard after them in the battle, so chased hard after them. Um, it's quite interesting when you see somebody that is courageous. Courageous can be contagious. That's a good one, all right? Don't worry. I know it's a bad thing to say contagious in this type, this day in the world, <laughs> but this is actually a good one, like a smile, you know, and courage. If somebody's got courage or a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord uh, says, I want to go speak to somebody about the Lord, would you come with me? This is it. This is the chemistry. Yes, I will, sister. Yes, I will, brother. Um, whatever it is, I'll take, I'll come with you. It's so important, you know. Um, verse 23 just goes on to say, so the Lord saved Israel that day, so they had a victory, and the battle passed over unto Beth Haven. So it was pushed outwards. They sort of pushed them back out, I think it's towards the Mediterranean Sea, um, sort of getting them, sort of getting rid of, sort of slowly getting rid of the Philistines. The Holy Spirit is our armor bearer. We've all got it. It's all there. It's a, it's, a, it's a conscience thing that we've got. It's, a, and it's an opinion thing we've got within, within ourselves when, when we make uh, decisions. And, and we won't turn to it, but in John 14, verse 17, it says, Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, we know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. We have that dwelling within us. So not only is our brothers and sisters, we are armor bearers for one another. We have Christ with us who is already armor bearing for us. And the people said, it's an amazing thing to have. We've got the best possible situation we can find ourselves in. And with Jonathan taking on the Philistines with his armor bearer, he succeeded through faith. There's a, there's a statement also in regards to an armor bearer. And the reason why I don't think, I believe, I reckon there's no name for the armor bearer. Because armor bearer, I've got written here, is not of office. So an armor bearer is not of office, but rather an attitude. It's something we can all have. 
And just in closing, in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. We've got the God Almighty with us, the armor bearer. 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So go out there. Go go out to, I suppose if you want to say Philistines or uh, in this case, um, go out, you know, uh, teaching all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, what we've got. Go them the armor bearer also, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. So he's given us that voice, that voice in the night. Jesus is saying, I am the voice with you until the end of the world. Amen. Amen. 